Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Equity Unpacked. I'm your host, Amy Reback, from the Workplace Financial Services team at Charles Schwab. So today's Quick Takes episode is focused on um, insider trading. We don't like to say that out loud because it's a very bad, terrible, illegal thing that people go to jail for. And I'm not joking around. I'm not making light. This is serious stuff. I mean, lots and lots of notable names have found themselves in a heap of trouble and behind bars. So instead, let's talk about the newly amended SEC rules to help prevent that very bad, terrible thing. That's going to be SEC Rule 10B-51, which is part of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. The updates involve changes to 10B-51, which went into effect late February of this year. And just to refresh, in case we have any non-SPA listeners, a 10B-51 contract gives a reporting officer the ability to say, let's trade these, you know, they enter into a contract and they say, let's trade these shares at this date, you know, a certain per- period of time, and I have no non-public information that could, you know, benefit me in any way. So it's so far into the future that I have no idea what is going to happen. And that provides them the ability to defend themselves against insider trading liability or accusations. And it's under Section 10B or Rule 10B-51 of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. Otherwise, you'd have officers or executives at companies that were never allowed to trade their shares today or tomorrow or the next day because just by nature of their roles, they're, they're probably going to have some kind of insider information. But they can't tell you what's going to happen you know, a year from now or 18 months from now. It also has new disclosure requirements for Section 16 officers, which aim to further protect the average investor from negative market impacts of insider trading, and it provides transparency on when those insiders are trading securities. So why only Section 16 officers? Well, it it does apply to others if they have non-public information, but just as I mentioned before, by nature of those in the executive or other high-ranking C-suite roles, they're more likely to have non-public information. So here are the facts. The changes alter Things like a cooling off period before trading can begin under a new or modified plan. Now, there are legacy plans that were in place before this rule happened that can play themselves out, but if they are modified or a new one is created, they have to adhere to the new rules. For directors and officers, that means the later of 90 days after plan adoption or modification, or two business days following any disclosure of the company's financial results on a 10K or a 10Q for the fiscal quarter in which the plan was adopted or modified. That maximum cooling off period is 120 days after the plan adoption date. Insiders or other employees that are considered insiders or deemed to have insider information, they have 30 days after the plan adoption or modification. It also requires those officers to sign and affirm a personal certification stating they're entering into the contract in good faith and have no public information. Reporting officers and issuers are both required to comply by April 1st of 2023. It also prohibits multiple overlapping plans. So before you could have several plans going at the same time, which could potentially allow you to hedge, what it does now is it limits only one single trading plan within a 12-month period. It requires enhanced reporting requirements on Form 4 and 5, and it states that companies or issuers themselves can use a plan to buy back stock And it also stipulates when insiders can make donations of their stock 
to potentially get beneficial tax treatment. And there's new reporting timelines for those gifts and also a switch to reporting on Form 4 instead of Form 5, which, you know, I'm sure you know. Lastly, if you're a very small reporting company, you do get a six-month grace period to become compliant with all of those things. Now, regarding these changes, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler says, and I quote, the goal here is to prevent insiders from getting a better deal than the Main Street investor. And if we go back to what the SEC actually does, their whole purpose for being is to make sure that the everyday investor has the same benefit and the same ability to trade and participate in in our public markets as anyone else. So for you spas out there, you get the joy of informing your Section 16 officers of these changes, which has likely already happened and you're still standing. So that's awesome. Now, whether we agree with them or not, no one can deny that there have been significant changes to the amount of information we have access to on a daily basis and how quickly we can get to it thanks to those tiny but very powerful little computers we carry around in our pockets every day. Meanwhile, the rules on preventing insider trading and the tools we allow executives to trade pursuant to 10b51 plans have not changed in 23 years since they were first adopted. So this was really overdue. So a few things for you and or your legal counsel to consider. How comfortable are you with these changes and how have they affected your procedures? Now on the broker dealer side, we really create the 10B51 contracts mostly from a boilerplate document that everybody agrees on. And it will be a boilerplate document. There will be no differences here. There's very, very little room to move around. Whereas before there were, you know, special exceptions based on you know what the legal counsel of any individual firm wanted to do. But those definitely need to be updated and they should be very consistent across the industry now. Takes the guesswork out of it. As a provider, we just really execute those instructions we're given and rely on affirmation from your corporate counsel that the reporting officer entering that contract does not possess any non-public information. I mean, the, the legal requirement is really bearing on the issuer here although your broker dealer or your provider does have a requirement to do due diligence, perform due diligence, I guess I should say, um, we, we definitely have to make sure that that's upheld. But I couldn't tell you if someone called, if a legal counsel called and said, this person has um, no access to public information, I, you know, short of spying on them, we're, we're not going to know that. So we do have to rely mostly on the, um, the declarations from your corporate counsel. If you have blackout windows in place, does the scheduled open trading window meet that you know, minimum holding period? And that may not have happened yet, but some of you, maybe maybe it hasn't. Are you a spot, a private company that intends to go public soon? Were you or are you planning an early lockup release or day one trading by anyone at the firm? And do you need to change that? You might need to reconsider depending on what your chosen path to public is. How is the disclosure process going? I mean, it's really early. They may have existing contracts in place that are legacy contracts. So it's possible there's no new activity, but for really large firms, how confident are you with that process that's in place to meet the requirements? And what does your testing look like? I mean, this is gonna be a big audit item this year. Have you coordinated with your equity plan provider and their executive services or 10B51 trading team to ensure the contract language has been amended and is consistent both with your firm and theirs? And what type of reporting can they provide you to help you document your compliance as an issuer? Gensler says, and again, I quote, anytime we can increase investor confidence in the markets, that's a good thing. 
It helps investors decide where to put their money. It lowers the cost of capital for businesses seeking to raise capital, grow, and innovate, and thus facilitates capital formation. Smart guy. And that's a wrap, everybody. It's good practice to circle back and review what has changed to ensure you, your team, and all your stakeholders are confident about meeting these new requirements. So I hope you enjoyed our Quick Takes episode today. You're welcome to visit the show notes at schwab.com forward slash equity unpacked for links to the SEC announcement defining the updates to Rule 10b-51 and the disclosure requirements. And while you're at it, subscribe to our podcast so we can meet again. Thanks for joining us today and safe travels, everyone. For important disclosures, see the show notes or visit schwab.com slash equity unpacked.